Good morning and welcome to OSW Daily, uh, your almost daily live stream uh, brought to you by Mr. Mike Petreski and my good self. How you doing, Mike? How was your weekend? Happy Monday. Yep. That Bitmoji kind of represents me this morning, Steve. I'm <laughs> it a little, sure uh, does. It sure does. Yep. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> here in body. And we'll, we're both trying to figure out if we're both here in mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Monday. So, How it's you a doing, Monday. Steve? I'm doing well, mate. I'm you. doing well. Good to see you too, as always, as always. So as I mentioned in the intro there, OSW, we're almost here daily. Uh, we do, uh, you know, through the summer, we may take more time off than perhaps uh, we should, or maybe we should be taking more time off. Who knows, Mike? Well, we'll <laughs> the audience, the audience can sure let us know. And uh, so what do we do? We, we talk about the headlines of today. We talk about the topics um, that everyone's going to be talking about today, all related to work, workplace, workplace productivity and the employee experience. And uh, today, Mike, no, no exception. We've got a number of great content, some great content to talk about. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's, let's pull up and let's, let's sort of, uh, let's say you, you have some great content to talk about, Steve. I will just be the observer, the headline reader. I did not read the articles today, so let's go over them and I will give you the, the perception that many people probably have because all we have time to do is scan the headlines. So this is a good experiment for us today since I did not do my homework and read these articles. <laughs> I'll give you the the gut reaction to the the headline and see what it, how it goes. Fair enough, fair enough, Mike. And uh, one, I appreciate your honesty, and uh, <laughs> and and two, it just allows everyone to see how much of the heavy lifting that uh, you, you don't do, you know. <laughs> I, no doubt about uh, that. This is your show, I'm my planning. friend. I know, man. I know, man. We're having we're having fun. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So we're going to talk about it. it's a variety of topics, right? It's we're going to talk about workplace health and safety. We're going to talk about remote work, its benefits, but you know the office also has benefits. We're going to talk about the millennial workforce, and then we're going to have a, a chat about the empathy. So uh, so let's let's drive on to the Stuff. the first the first article. And uh, what this is, Mike, here's, here's the headline, JLL ties up with SGS to provide health safe workplaces. And SGS, for those who don't know, is one of the world's leading inspect inspection, verification, testing and certification companies. So what they're looking to do with this partnership is provide clean, worth, healthier workplaces and allow you to get certified. So it really is, as we think about, you know, People want to go back to the office. People want to be certain that the office environment is clean, it's healthy, it's safe. And what they're looking to do with this is provide a certification that uh, workplaces can go through, qualify, and allow employees and, and also visitors and vendors to know that actually the, the environment that they're operating is is a healthy a healthy place. And, sure. and, we're, and there's two ways you do it. You do it through remote or an in-person in inspection. So it really is an interesting thing. And where, where I find this interesting and where I think it may be more applicable is in the serviced office environment, Mike. You know, you think about, you know, how do, how do those vendors provide certainty to occupants that they are meeting certain standards? And with that, then comfort is given to their, their clients or customers that uh, yeah, it, it's okay, it's safe to come in here, you can operate here. So it, it's a very interesting partnership. Yeah, no, I, I like the idea. It's, as someone who is gonna be visiting a lot of office mm -hmm. places, it's gonna be something that I'm gonna be looking for. And 
if you work for the organization and it's someplace you go regularly, I assume you'll be told what the protocols are. You'll be well aware of that. You'll know that, you know, there's going to be some type of a indication, notification that this space has been disinfected. This space has been cleaned, especially if you're sharing spaces. And I think there's going to be some comfort that comes from that for sure. But as a visitor, as someone or, or someone going to a co-working space, for example, or someplace that is not your normal uh, destination, you're going to want to know in the back of your mind, hey, what's the routine here? What's the protocol here? Is that is that the gist of this article? Again, because I didn't read it, is is the idea being this is a way to build that level of comfort and give people a, a better baseline for, for re-entering the workplace? Is that what the incentive is here? <clears throat> So the article didn't really dig into what the delivery would be or what that final product would be. What it did talk about was so JLL, they've identified that people want to return to the office. SGS yep. provide these services, the two coming together. What is the opportunity here? And obviously there's different inspections. And so the whole intent is just to provide information and comfort to different people. What what we don't know is, okay, how? What's the, What's the frequency? How is it going to be done? How is it going to be administered? Yeah. How is the certification going to be displayed? Is there badges that you get? What is the cost associated with that? So all those different things that, you know, we would look and want to know as they rolled out the program, um, it's it's still not really identifying what those is. So I think it's more the headline of, you know, it's really interesting here. We have a, you know, a global recognized uh, real estate uh, firm and connecting with a, you know, a, uh, a company who's able to verify and certify. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting, um, I think it's a good thing, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know in essence as well, you know, you think about the various standards and you think about some of the challenges that they may face implementing this, the fact that different countries, cities, states, of different rules, different parameters, different companies mm. are going to have different standards. So it's how do you create this standard? Because otherwise you get all this complexity to trying to create a tool that's easy to roll out and develop and also provide certainty and consistency across a, a global platform. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But again, it's, I think it's yep. the right it's the right move. Um, provide employees with comfort. Again, vendors, customers, clients. And to your point, anyone who's going to be visiting the office, I think it provides uh, it, it's a useful tool. So, and I think yeah, we'll I've see. got a uh, I've got a webinar with the folks from the Well Building, mm. the International Well Building Institute, the, later this week on Thursday, and I'll ask that question about you know is there a standard that can be implemented, you know, across different geographies to give people that baseline and benchmark to know they they feel like this standard's been met, therefore there's a there's a yeah. level of confidence returning to the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that it's a great thing, and I, and I wonder if, if their view is well, their standard does that already, because they've already built in a lot of the standards that actually may mean you already achieve and you're already doing this as an organization, and maybe yeah, this we'll is see. an opportunity for them to actually say no, you have it already if you're if you're certified with with the well build, building standard. So, quite an interesting, quite an interesting topic. Um, and Good as, start. As, as, as right. I said, as I said, I think we're going to see a lot more of this, Mike, as we go forward. Um, so absolutely. So this one is from the Connected Real Estate Magazine, and uh, it, it's it's a really interesting article, Mike. And, and I've just captured two snapshots of what this is because it talks at length about a remote work study that was done in China in 2013, where an organization of a thousand employees offered 
employees the ability to work from home four days a week, come to the office one day a week. 50% took them up. And what they did was they tried to measure productivity and also output and engagement from these group of employees who worked from home compared to those people who didn't uh, work from home. And okay. what they concluded was that employees who work from home, their productivity, their level of engagement, their amount of time working all increased. And what it's basically was saying was, and, and what they, it, it's almost, it says, it almost doubled 22% of people were more engaged and actually actively worked longer hours and actually created better outcomes. Now, I'm not, it doesn't go into how productivity was measured and what those outcomes and deliverables were. It doesn't go into that. But in essence, what it was trying to illustrate was there are huge benefits to allowing employees work from home. And if you give those people permission, um, you provide them with the right tools, uh, they actually create their own environment. They create an environment that actually allows them to be productive, that actually they actually feel they want to give more to the organization and sort of provide more more insights and more benefits. It's, 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 it's fascinating. But then it then goes on to say, well, we can't forget about the actual office because the office provides a different type of benefit and the benefit they talk about is, and we've talked about it here, is the humanization, right? It's the social interactions. It's the coming together. Teams come together, being together. And uh, you know, you see, obviously, see the benefits of that. So what I find interesting about this, and you know, we are hearing this a lot, that people who work from home are providing more time, spending more time working. They're, uh, they're actually feel they need to deliver more and illustrate they're delivering more but also that humanization and social interaction has been missed. And I wonder, you know, are we going to naturally move towards this hybrid model where almost the, almost, and I say almost all, I think it's going to be 60, 70% of the population of an office is actually going to operate in a hybrid model. So that means part-time at home, part-time in the office, and the office, when in the office, then the entire team comes together to actually create those social interactions but then a lot of that head time work and a lot of that um, delivery work, productive work actually um, gets done at home. Very sure. interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> let's start with what you've taught me is the question behind the question. <laughs> who who wrote this article? Obviously connected uh, real estate magazine, Rich Berliner and friends, love Rich, great yep. uh, contributor to our industry. Uh, had the chance to interview him for my podcast, but Clive Thompson. Do we know who Clive Thompson is? He is a New York Times uh, a journalist. Ooh, wow. Well, yeah. There's some credentials. All right. Yeah. What is his agenda, I guess? So, so at first, I'm glad you, you mentioned the, the last part, again, because I didn't read the article, that there was some balance as far as the not just Definitely enjoyed the benefits of that flexibility, the control, and the ability to do my work without uh, interruption. So that's not a doubt. But the piece that we're missing is that office piece, the humanized piece. You mentioned it's something that you're not sure how they measured productivity, and they put those things right as far as the results of this survey. How do you measure the the intangibles, the the human interaction, the the feeling you get being with your colleagues, the the, the things that allow you to feel like you're part of a team uh, in some really just human way that is really hard to measure. And when you don't have it, you know it's missing. And I think that's where we're going to have to really see that hybrid approach 
uh, still require uh, adapt adapting new techniques and new new protocols, new um, you know strategies for leaders, workplace leaders, corporate leaders uh, are going to need to adjust the way they did things because a lot of things that just happened organically, naturally with their with their employees, the workforce together in the mm-hmm. office, going to lunch together, hanging out in the break room together. That's going away to some large degree, whether it's completely gone or, or it's a hybrid approach where it's still there on certain days of the week, there's still going to be some adjustment that takes place. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and I just find it interesting, actually, that uh, when we when and we, sh- we should keep this sort of keep this at the back of our hand and anyone who's watching do the same thing. Observation. So whenever we talk about the office, it's the social piece. It's the collisions, accidental collisions, it's going to lunch, it's going for coffees, it's that chat beside the water cooler, right? It's not about work in a way, right? It's Work comes out of those social interactions or those accidental interactions. When we talk about remote work and we talk about heads down productive work, it's just fascinating the narrative and the terminology that gets used a lot. And it's something I've sort of I just detected it in what you said, I detected it in what I said as well, also in this article. And I'd just be curious as we sort of listen going forward with how people talk about the office, how the people talk about home, if that's a consistent theme that that, that we continue to hear. Yeah, hmm. that'll be interesting to watch. And the measurement of productivity is something that's been debated for a long time, and it's something we've made strides to do. I know it can be done, and there's some really smart folks out there, Kay Sargent, Kate Lister, people who have told me that there's ways to measure productivity, and I I just wonder how we measure culture, how we measure connectivity, human-to-human, you know, level of alignment with your colleagues, and that's something even Mm. maybe uh, trickier, but we'll see, and it's something, yeah, to watch. Make sure when, when someone's making an argument one way or the other or for change, Let's make sure we're being consistent and and putting the same level or same demands on measurement of business outcomes, which is at the end of the day what all organizations need to be successful. Let's make sure we're putting the same demands on remote work as we are the office and and so forth. Absolutely, absolutely. So so this is this is a really interesting article, and it's a very short article, Mike, but it's all about the millennial workforce, and it's talking about you know. What we're going through right now, will this change the millennial workforce approach to work and working for organizations? Millennial workforce and Gen Z, they've almost been encouraged, it feels, to work for a company for two years, learn all you can, move on to another company two years, learn all you can, move on to another company for two years, move on all you can, right? And this is... And this is also demonstrated, and if you look at the average employee longevity or tenure of a Google employee, it's 3.2 years. They're software engineers, 3.2 years. And organizations spend so much time and energy trying to recruit millennials. And it's a, it's a viral circle because, in, uh, in essence, it's a circular reference, if you want to call it that way, because the turnover is so high because this is the mindset. And this, this, this article questions or puts forward a hypothesis, will will actually this change their approach to their careers going forward because of the work style, the flexibility, but also the uncertainty that if they move to another organization right now, that actually they don't know what that workplace, what that what the future of that 
be that company, be that team, or whatever it is, um, will, will be. So therefore, perhaps th this this demographic may stay with an organization for longer. So it's a very interesting uh, uh, point of view uh, around, around millennials. Is it based on the fact that we've all kind of shifted or changed the way we view work during the pandemic? And as far as job security and things like that, is that part of the article? It, it is a part of it, but also as well as just the uncertainty around, you know, life in general, right? This uncertainty, yeah. you know, whenever there is confidence in the wider, um, call it social demographics, whatever that is, uh, whenever you see your peers moving from job to job relatively easily and progressing and climbing the ladder and their careers yeah. developing, yeah then you feel more confident, I suspect, moving and doing those things. Whenever sure. you see the narrative around that that's, maybe that's not really happening and you see people losing their jobs and you see also the change in narrative where companies you may look or aspire to work for actually have a different approach or their workplace is changing, right? You take the Twitters, you take some of those big organizations are changing the landscape of, of, of the work environment for those organizations. Well. What message is that then sending to millennials, to Gen Z, and how is that changing their approach to develop their careers? And again, it's a hypothesis, right? It's, it's will this change how they approach things? Yeah, it's interesting. It gives me two ideas here, two thoughts. One, you know, pre-pandemic, the millennial generation, the younger generation was well known for being more in tune with the mission of an organization. And that was very important to them. And we were trying to, as workplace leaders, align our culture and our mission and make sure that, that the younger, talented skill set of individuals that, that organizations need to be successful knew what this organization was about and then they could feel aligned with that. And I always argued as a Gen Xer, an older guy, hey, listen, we all want to feel like we're contributing. We all want to mm -hmm. feel valued. We want we want to feel like we're part of a, a team, an organization that's doing something that's worthwhile. It's not just about the paycheck. It's, it's more than that. And I would say it's not necessarily a generational thing. But now that we're in this place we're in today, you know, four or five months into a pandemic, the economy is obviously headed to a deep recession, if not worse. And and jobs are being lost left and right, and everybody sees that reality around us, regardless of generation. But, but the millennials in particular have never, for the most part, been through something like this. They've never experienced a, a, a less than ideal, you know, world in which that there's a almost full employment. Jobs are are everywhere available. You have the freedom to jump, and and you don't have to feel as committed. That's why I guess organizations were feeling. You know, as for the war for talent, they they were driven by the war for talent to to make sure their younger, talented workforce would stay there longer than two years, hopefully. But the, the truth of the marketplace was that there was a lot of opportunity and a lot of people moving around. And if you see your peers, as you said, driving uh, forward in their careers by jumping from job to job and, and assignment to assignment and getting name uh, big name companies to hire them, mm -hmm. that's something you, you could pay yourself against. Well, here we are. You know that that world is behind us at least for the near term, and and uh, job security is is not what it once was. And I think the pendulum has switched, has shifted as as we knew it would when we hit an economic downturn. We don't know the full extent of this, but certainly it's not the same as it was you know before this pandemic hit. And mm. you're going to have people making a lot of more practical decisions. You know, you know, 
operating out of fear and out of hesitation as opposed to out of this freedom to, you know, look for those little things that that um, were so important before. They're less important. They're still important. Don't get me wrong, but I think they're going to be less a driver of the job switching and job changing because, you know, if anybody's if you're smart and wise about it, you know that you don't necessarily have a guaranteed job because the pendulum has uh, shifted towards the side of the employer with more. you know, more employees out there than, than jobs to fill at this moment in time anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it also mentions about, you know, the employee engagement, right? And sort of how, how do the millennials and Gen Z engage with organizations? And it's, it's been noted and talked about at length over the last couple of years that actually, how do they buy in? How do they get them to buy into the ethos or some of the cultural things that organizations do? And if we think about what organizations and societies are going through right now, you know, millennials will judge companies, leadership, um, on how they're behaving during the pandemic. How can they align with the values of an organization and their approach to delivering those values? So that's something that uh, people should be keeping in mind of as well, because millennials will will, uh, participate and watch and observe and make decisions based on that also. Yeah, maybe that's part of the reason yeah. they're being more committed and not looking to jump so quickly is because mm-hmm. from my from my surveys and things I've read that so far, at least, the organizations have built up a lot of goodwill with their employees because of their flexibility and their approach to this lockdown and the work from home and, and the culture that has been in, enforced upon us. We have to be uh, prepared to empathy, uh, show empathy, and I think it's mm-hmm. the next article you get to. But being empathetic to our employees has built up a lot of goodwill with with uh, employees and and organizations, as far as trust goes. And we had this conversation a few weeks ago that trust is so important mm. these these days. And and in many ways, the survey re- results that I've seen is that that employees are feeling very good about their organizations, the majority of them anyway, that they feel they they can trust their employers to make the right choices for them at dealing with this pandemic thus far. Now, as we get into the fall into the next year, and as you know, we, we have to start making some decisions that are hard and not everybody agrees with those decisions. We'll see what happens if with that trust factor and that those numbers. But, but so far, I think that's actually helping organizations create buy-in and build that level of relationship with their, with their workforce. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, you, th- you think about that, Mike, what you just said, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of times, like we're four or five months into this pandemic and, you know, it's like, okay, the next four or five months, how are we going to treat this? That becomes a really long time to, to manage a really changing and evolving environment. And, and that's just managing people to get through that, managing business processes to get through that. And then also trying to stimulate and innovate to drive the business forward and i just wonder at one point does one have to give to help the other i don't, I don't know and it'll be interesting yeah. to see as, as organizations think through their f- future strategies you know what does this time period impact innovation and also their future development you know interesting what well, in a practical sense I, I don't want to go down too far this path but the the practical thing we're seeing play out right now in our public school system i have a couple teachers yeah. in my family and they're essentially being forced to go back to work, whether they feel ready or not, comfortable or not. Um, that's going to happen, I think, at some point in the broader sense of the economy, as far as, you know, we need you here. We need certain people, certain roles have to be physically in the office. We're going to do all we can to keep the office 
safe, as we talked about earlier today, but there's only so much you can do. You're not going to eliminate the risk. You can only mitigate those risks. And uh, people are going to have to make individual choices at that point. And, and that's where the, the, the fear and the, and the emotion mm-hmm. of it all is going to come to play. It's, it's playing out right now in this yeah. debate over opening, yeah. reopening schools. Yeah, no, no, it's a good point, Mike. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be something that's going to continue to go on, though. Um, so the last, the last topic we want to talk about today is empathy. And this is an interview I did with uh, Michael Davidson, Michael P. Davidson, who is the head of global corporate real estate at J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, fascinating interview, Mike. And we've, t- we've touched on this, I think, a little bit last week, as I, as I was mentioning about uh, the interview before I published it. And what I love about what Michael said is empathy is an exercise. I just love that mindset in a sense mm, that okay. if you don't, if you don't work out, if you don't lift weights, if you don't run, whatever it is you do, whatever athletic program you got to do or whatever you need to do to improve oneself, if we don't do it routinely, we, we forget how to do things. We forget how to, you know, we lose strength, we lose stamina. Same thing with empathy. If we don't practice empathy every day, then actually you lose the ability to have empathy um, mm. um, for, for other people. And one of the other fascinating things he says is, you know, it's just like rarely in given empathy does it actually result in a bad thing. Hmm. You know what I mean? There's usually yeah. there's usually huge payback. You may not see it. You may not feel it. Um, but actually rarely is, is there ever a, neg- a negative outcome of showing empathy uh, for other people. But I just love this mindset of uh, we need to practice it. We need to make it a, a discipline. And yeah. we need to do it like we do every other, everything else, whether we're managing our diet or exercise. And I just, I just love that, the idea of it. Yeah, that's good stuff. And and first I'll start by saying, you know, Michael's outfit, he's a sharp dressed man and looks like a, a certain level of comfort I get from hearing from him. So I, I got to watch the interview if this is something you've published. I haven't seen it yet, yeah. but uh, it's a great point. The idea of empathy being something that needs to be practiced. It's the idea of, as far as did you guys t- take a moment to define empathy? Because I have yep. a certain perception in my mind of what it is. How did you define it? How, how so it was more. It? it was more. I asked him how he defined it, and it's just caring for other people, right? I think yeah. it was something as really simple as that. But then he then goes on to, you know, demonstrate and explain the various degrees of which you do it and the different places that you see it. So in the interview, we talk about empathy from a leadership perspective, empathy from an employee perspective, but also empathy as a real estate. Now you think about empathy in real estate and you kind of think, hmm, well, how does that, mm. how, how do you get to that? Well, real estate's all about people. If we think about workplace, we design workplace for people. And yeah. how do you design a workplace for people if you don't have empathy for the people who are going to operate there? You don't have empathy for the tasks, the functions, and everything that's going to take place in that real estate. So it puts a really nice spin on how empathy, how we can play, put empathy in, in um, our daily lives. And yeah. also we talk about, you know, with, with Michael, where, where his empathy comes from. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that definition as far as caring for others. But I also like the idea of putting yourself in others' shoes. That's, how that's the way I've he, always defined empathy. Yeah, it's, And that's probably closer to what he said, to be fair. And the need to be reminded of that, right? Because mm-hmm. you and I will do this all the time. We'll, we'll have these conversations. We'll some new news report will come out or some new article will come across our desk or we'll read it. We'll say, I don't get this perspective. I don't understand how someone could disagree with this or why mm. someone would think that way. 
and empathy puts you in the other person's shoes and you say, oh, now I get it. Mm -hmm. I see what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't have that particular concern because of my, you know, situation or my stage of career or life. And therefore, I don't maybe see the, the urgency of that situation. But if you empathize and understand that yours, your little bubble that you live in is not the only one out there and know that other people have different levels of uh, anxiety, concern, uh, you know, uh, responsibilities, family, children, workspace at home, all those things, whatever the, the situation, it helps you, you know, lead because you're not just looking at from looking at it from your view, but others view. And that's mm -hmm. why I think diversity is important. Diversity of of perspective and leadership and, and having organizations really take into account many different ideas and different peoples on a needs and uh, caring for people is what it's all about. So I love that. And uh, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's a good reminder and it's something we got to practice each and every day. It's a great reminder. And uh, it is it is something we do need to practice. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it was it's it's really refreshing. Um, I encourage people to go watch it. Uh, get to know Michael. He also has a website where he shares a lot of his thoughts. He writes a lot of content and uh, he has he travels the world. He's a great photographer, videographer, and he tells great stories yeah. through through the visuals. So please go. And a great go check dresser. Out. No wonder he's dressing so well. He's a <laughs> he's a creative guy. I'm wearing the bland, same old shirts every day. If you've watched these OSW Daily Live, Steve and I have the same two, three shirts. We rotate them every day. Man, we gotta, we gotta pick up our game, Steve. The fashion yeah, sense is really we sad will. here. We will. I, it is. You're, you're, you're quite right. You're quite right. So maybe we take that as a challenge one day, and we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll maybe put that to the test. But uh, see more Mike. colors, more colors. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike, look, that wraps it up for today. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you joining me as always. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, thank everyone, you. for watching. Uh, as I said, you know, leave comments, leave questions. If there's any articles that you think we should be talking about or sharing, you know, send us, send us an email, oswdaily at gmail.com, and uh, we'll add it to, uh, to what we talk about. All right. Have a great Monday, mate. Happy Cheers. You too, mate. You too, mate. Cheers. Thank you.